Welcome to Licked and Loaded, everybody. I'm Laura Desiree, and I thought at this point in our relationship, you know, we've come a long way. We've met some amazing people together. Um, we've spent some time with my sister, but I think it's best that you get to know the family. Today, we're going to be chatting with, oh yes, my 70-year-old big bad dad, and we're going everywhere. We're leaving no stone unturned, okay? Including S-E-X. I am so delighted to bring him on to the show. He's an incredible speaker who loves a good chat. So without further ado, let's kick off the daddy-daughter episode of Licked and Loaded. Here he is. the legend himself my dad hi dad oh oh me hi <laughs> how you doing honey i'm wonderful i can't believe uh, a technophobe self-proclaimed like you you're on skype right now well, i couldn't have done it without your help is this Thank like a, a major accomplishment for you it, it is i had to replug the light yeah <laughs> and, and follow your instructions but here we are i'm ready to go I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Um, I wanted I you, you too, my show. girl. Well, thank you. I, I, I wanted you on the show because um, I, I love the stories that we share. I love the conversations that we have. Uh, I find myself, especially over you know quarantine and being away from seeing people, really enjoying getting you on FaceTime and just shooting the shit. It's been a lot of fun despite yeah. the COVID quarantine. And it has been a terrible year, of course, in many ways, but you're right. Uh, we've improved our communication skills, not just you and me, but the world. Yeah. Um, and uh, hey, we do what we have to, we adapt. That's what humans do. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel more positive about 2021 after, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, the vaccine is a huge um, promise of, of, uh, of improvement. Uh, needless to say, the political climate in your country, in my opinion, has improved, although there's still testing and difficult times ahead, as President Biden has said. Yeah. But uh, no, it, the, the outlook for 21 is so much better than one year ago. What we dreaded and feared was the unknown yeah. uh, and one final year of you know who. Yeah, um, yeah. But now it's come to pass. Here we are. And uh, although there's still tough times ahead. There's also hope, which is more than we had a year ago. And you've you've obviously lived a much longer life than me and maybe many of the listeners, and that's fine. That's incredible. I'm 70. Yeah, there's yeah. value in that. You're 70 years old. Uh, just looking at the political climate itself, you've lived through a lot. Have you ever seen anything like 2020 and really the four years that you know who was in office? Uh, yes and no. I mean, uh, you're right. 70 years gives you a, a, a larger perspective on history. Uh, but the other thing is uh, I've also learned because I love reading and I love being a student of history. So as I aged, I also kept looking back to fill in what I didn't realize I was living through. Because when you're a teenager, as I was in the 1960s, uh, you know, politics wasn't, you know, part of my life. I was chasing 
tennis balls, uh, watching hockey, and eventually hoping to chase girls, and eventually I found music, which led me into my career. But politics, I was vaguely aware of because my mom thought I looked like President Kennedy. And so I knew that she loved John F. Kennedy. And, you know, when I looked into it, oh, he's a cool guy. He looks like he did a good things. And he died a horrible death. What was that all about? So I became slowly sensitized to the politics, but it was very slowly. And I think I'm not unusual for my generation or any generation. You just tend not to be political until later in life. And uh, because I got into the media when I was in 21, I was already in radio. And trust me, in radio, you're on top of everything every day. So that helped teach me a lot. And I remember sitting through the Watergate hearings in 1973, every afternoon and evening, I'd rush home from, from the radio station and sit down in front of the TV and watch Watergate. So that was um, a political um, education. But have I seen anything like what the past four years have been? No, I don't think anyone has. Uh, it was uh, a, a, a desperate time of incredible polarization. Now. I did see that polarization, but I wasn't aware of it mm-hmm. in the uh, in the Vietnam era. Uh, yeah, I, I occasionally went down to University Avenue to protest in front of the American embassy, but I wasn't uh, a flag waving, uh, uh, you know, freaky, intense protester. Uh, it was more of a, oh, if that's what other kids are doing. Let me check this out. But like I said, I didn't get become more political until as an adult. I realized Watergate. And then the horrors of Vietnam, a war uh, that was really inexplicable and really was never justified properly. And yet so many people died, mm-hmm. uh, not just the 55,000 American soldiers, but some millions of Vietnamese, uh, a horrible thing. So you become more sensitized to politics as you become older. And no, uh, the last four years to have the uh, the internal divisions. Um, not as it was in my youth that was generational. When I was growing up, the generation gap, don't trust anyone over 30, was um, a way for uh, uh, teenagers and young people to look at the establishment and their adults as people not to trust. After all, they killed their leaders, they took us to war, they sent us to die, you know? Uh, so there was a great distrust of a generation. Today, it's not a generational thing as much as it is a left-right, blue-red, conservative, liberal, um, progressive reactionary divide. And that divide can be any ages. There are young Trump supporters, there are old Trump supporters, and then there are young progressives, and then there are old progressives. Mm -hmm. It often comes down to education, in my opinion. Yeah, well, wait, 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 what do you mean by that? Well, this could open up a can of worms, but I do believe that a president who famously never read books and, you know, you know, did not want to know history, did not want to know the past, attracted people like himself to himself. And that's one of the great failings of society is not to know your past. If you don't know history, then you don't see the patterns of history. You don't see what can lead 
a country, a nation, a people into trouble because you didn't know about the rise of the fascists in Italy and in Germany in the 1920s and how that led to the horrors of the 30s and the, and the destruction of the 40s. You know, that you weren't aware of history. You're not aware of the mistakes of the past and you're very easily uh, likely to repeat them yourself. So being a student of history, I think, is the first step in being an educated and a progressive society that prevents itself from electing someone who would lead us down a dark path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, <sighs> when you know your history, you know where you're coming from, Bob Marley, right? Exactly, yeah. yes. History, Some I'm, I remember growing up in high school, so many kids didn't like history, but the saying was, if you got a good history teacher, you'll love it. That was the problem. It wasn't always taught well. It was dates and stuffy, dry facts, but there was no one synthesizing it into making it meaningful for uh, the continuum of, of history, including today. How is today a result of what happened in the past? Right. Well, not many teachers did that very well. So history became a dry, boring subject, and a lot of kids tuned out. I was lucky. I had a good history teacher at a particularly pivotal year in grade eight, and um, and I got to love this stuff. And then I saw the the way history played into mythology and how it played into ancient history, and that led to me uh, led me into love of travel because oh, that's where Greece and Rome and Egypt. Oh, I get it. And it wasn't a very big leap to go from enjoying the history of countries mm-hmm. to enjoying the history of music because I started you know, buying records and playing records and playing records for people at basement parties, which led me to play dances, which led me into my industry. And it was really a love of the past. Music, good pop music, is a barometer of history. You know, it reflects history. Uh, and right before we get into music and your incredible legacy in it, uh, I never thought in my lifetime that I would have a firsthand experience in seeing the racial divide as I did in 2020 and a year of police brutality and really watching the media, you know, put this out there. I never, I never thought, you know, call this my, um, call this my privilege, call this, uh, my whiteness. I never thought that I would see the things I was seeing, the racism I was seeing, the divide in uh, in in our you know racial situation like this, in your lifetime, have you seen anything like what we did in regards to racism in 2020? No, never, because what happened in 2020, especially in the last several years, even before Trump, but certainly in the last few years, is the brazenness, the boldness of racists and the expression of racism, what happened to George Floyd on camera, brazen, brutal murder. I had never seen that before. I don't know if anyone has. I mean, it has happened before, yes, but never so openly, so brazenly, like, what are you going to do about it? And nobody felt they could do anything except maybe offer the occasional little whimpering, hey, don't do that. But who's going to challenge a police officer with three others around him? You know, but that brazenness of who does that? Yeah. I mean, who does that to a fellow human being? 
Now, certainly when I was growing up in the, in the 1960s, famously a decade of tremendous civil rights agitation and uh, the freedom riders who went south to help uh, register black voters risked their lives and several of them were killed. Uh, that was a brutal time too, but the media wasn't covering it the way today's media is. Uh, cell phone cameras weren't uh, universal everywhere. Uh, so what you heard was very, very um, filtered and a very small part of what was actually going on. I'm sure there were horrors in those days, the lynchings, the, the violence, the three entries, you know, men, women, coloreds. I mean, that was a washroom in, in restaurants and in gas stations, men, women, coloreds. I mean, the so-called coloreds people didn't even warrant a gender separate washroom. I mean, that's just, it's just a tiny part of, of, the, of the insanity of racism and the cruelty of it. So yet there was a different uh, uh, reaction to racism then. It was, it seemed like it was, especially for my white privileged Toronto upbringing, mm -hmm. uh, I, had a, I had a few uh, black kids in my high school, but I wasn't aware that there was any problems. That's my privilege. Yeah. They yeah. may have faced problems. Um, I was more aware of the, uh, of racist attitudes towards Jewish people. Um, uh, mainly it was that because I was still from that European um, mindset, you know, the Kensington market area, which you know very well in Toronto was called the Jewish market. You know, what? <laughs> Who calls yeah. it the Jewish market? But that was its traditional name. Uh, so the, this recent violent, racist, overt racist behavior, you just didn't see. You didn't see it then. And you do now. And it makes me frightened and upset and angry. Like, where is this going to go? Yeah. Who's going to stop this? Who's going to say, no, that's not okay. You cannot do that and hold that person accountable. That cop did a wrong thing. He just did. I mean, I, I know that this is obviously not an opportunity in the world to have you, the lawmaker and decision maker, but you are my dad and I, I value your opinion. So what would you do to start rewriting the wrongs of, uh, I guess, police action? Ooh. What would you do? Well, it, 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 I think it's what uh, President Biden is starting to talk about, accountability. You have to hold people accountable for their actions. And that means not looking the other way when something um, awful has happened, like the attack on Capitol Hill. That was an awful moment in American history, an awful moment that your generation and your children's generation will look back on and saying, wow, how did that happen? And, and who allowed that? Who encouraged that? Well, the people who allowed it, encouraged it, need to be held accountable for it and properly punished. And that concept goes all the way down to the police officer who crudely, rudely, uh, roughly, unlawfully handles his uh, charge. Now, I'm not going to be the, the, the moralist leader because that's not my it's not what I do is not my expertise, but I think everyone with a moral compass 
should know right from wrong when they see it. Yeah. Yes, there are, of course, extenuating circumstances. Was he pulling his for a gun? Was, was he actually trying to uh, hurt the officer? You know, I have great, great sympathy for the, uh, the great, great majority of, of police officers who try and do their job as well as possible. They're sometimes put into an impossible situation. I, I wouldn't want to be in those situations myself, and I wouldn't know what I would do. I would hope that I would do the right thing. And I would hope that with their training and their access to all kinds of power and strength and, and force, that they could do something better than kneel on a person's neck for eight minutes and kill that person with cameras rolling. There can never be justification for that. Mm -hmm. I, I, thank you for, for going there with me today. I know that I didn't include that in my <laughs> talking points. No, that makes for a good conversation. It's just, it's a valuable one. And yeah. uh, and like I said, there's something about speaking to your elders. I mean, there's that phrase, um, respect your elders. You're an elder now. Uh, what does that mean to you? Well, respect your elders uh, is based basically on one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, I think it's the Fifth Commandment. Honor thy father and thy mother. Um, which is all well and good, uh, you know. Uh, but as you become an elder yourself, uh, and long before I became an elder, I realized not all elders even deserve respect. That's not to be disrespectful, but the point is, just because you're an elder doesn't mean you're an ideal. I would, I would propose a much better commandment to live with. It's not one of the Ten Commandments, but it should be is the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Isn't that a a better show of respect than okay. honor thy father and thy mother. It's sort of paternalistic. You do as you're told. It's very much in keeping with how the ancients, uh, especially of the Judeo-Christian world, the ones who put the Bible together, they believed in a very paternalistic, um, authoritarian view. Whereas the golden rule uh, apparently has roots in Eastern Confucianism. Mm -hmm. which had a different perspective on the world. And I like their golden rule, which is so much better a way of looking at life. You can look at it generationally. Of course, you should do unto elders as you would have them do unto you. We also look at your peers. Do yeah, unto yeah. your classmate as you would have them do unto you. Don't bully them. You wouldn't want that done to yourself, you know? It seems like so, such, a, it's such a simple thing, right? It is. It, it really, it's such a simple thing. Come on. It's very simplicity is what makes it such a great um, moral lesson. Think of the Ten Commandments. My God, that's a long list, and it's kind of complicated, and many of those questions are very easily debatable. Not that a debate was allowed. You know, when Moses argued it and broke the uh, Ten Commandments, God simply did another set and ordered him to go down, so uh, go down the mountain. So, you know, uh, that's an authoritarian view. Yeah, the consequences <laughs> seem so extreme, you know. So yeah. I'd be, I'm, I'm walking a tightrope, hoping to obey every single step of them along the way, and that's no way to live. But this idea of treat people how you want to be treated, I mean, that's just that should be a, a filter in your mind before any interaction you make. Exactly. That's a great filter. It's a great starting point for life. You don't really need a whole lot more than that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So
That's oh, that. Exactly. Respect your elders, sure. Uh, but respect your peers. Respect your children. Yeah. It's all part of it. For, for people that are watching this on YouTube, they're going to see that there's obviously a huge amount of vinyl behind you. There <laughs> is uh, there's a library collection behind you. Some of the spines might be visible. I can see Elvis. I can see the Rolling Stone <laughs> Guide to the Best Music Ever. I can see yeah. a, couple, a couple of books back there. You're a music guy. Music has been my life. I love music and movies. Uh, you know, that's just who I am. And I think that's part of the pop culture passion that um, I've been lucky enough to pass on to my twin daughters, yeah. you know, to you and to you and your sister. And you guys have carried the um, that pop culture knowledge and, and love for it to wonderful new places. And I'm so proud of that. I'm, I'm very pleased with that. Yes. Um, I used to have a much bigger wall <laughs> in other places when I had, you know, thousands and thousands of records. Now they've squished to CDs and squished even further into uh, an iPod. <laughs> Tiny little space, huge library. <laughs> so but, I know in yeah. particular, you've, uh, you've always had such a knowledge for even the most specific small corners of music. And you taught a course on uh, radical uh, protest, revolutionary kind of music over the years. And I know that that is because of your love for pop culture and the effect that it has on society, the reactions that we have to right, some of this right. music. Now, I would say of today, of the exact moment, Cardi B's WAP, is one of the most um, explosive things we've seen music-wise to really, you know, shake up society a little bit. We're talking about something that uh, graphically we haven't spoken about like this before, and people are claiming it. Women are claiming it. Um, you know, it's it's having to be censored for the radio waves. Can I get your thoughts on Cardi B's <laughs> WAP? Well, uh, within the question that you just asked, you used one word seen. I picked up that word because I grew up and I continue to live and work in an audio um, medium, radio. Um, before that, I, I played records uh, at, as a disc jockey for uh, dances and wedding parties and stuff like that. So my whole world has been on the audio side. And you use the word scene because, of course, we live in a more visual age today. And sometime in the 1980s, uh, music made that shift from being purely auditory and living in the listener's mind and fantasy. And we created the world of that song. We didn't get it shown to us. so. We had uh, a multiverse of uh, visions that were as different as you and I were when we heard that song. When we hear Penny Lane by the Beatles, you know, we see some of the things that he's talking about, but we assemble it in our own minds in our own way. But when you see a video, as in the 1980s, we started transiting from audio into video, that vision was laid out for us. And that was the only way to see the song in your head, the one way. And that's, I'm sounding like an old fart here, but that was one of the uh, things we lost in the progress of time and eventually the digitization of music is those simple earlier 
um, opportunities to create the visions in your head. So a song like WAP, um, if you listen to it, it's nothing. It's really not a very good song at all. Why do you Where's say the melody? that? Because, you know, it doesn't move me emotionally. But when I see it, whoa, and that stuff's steamy, and it goes to all the erotic buttons and uh you know it it's uh of course it's sexist and sexual um uh, uh, and it's quasi pornographic some might even argue um but it's now the video age that we live in so a hit song has to have a hot hit video not always there are exceptions uh but those exceptions i believe rely on song craft you don't have to have a great video if it's a great song, right? Mm -hmm. But if it's not a very good song, you have a very steamy, hot video, it's a hit. So that's part of the change that we've uh, uh, created in our world. Do I like it as a song? No. Uh, and it's not just a reaction because I'm not a, a hip-hop music fan, and I'm not. It's just not my generation's music. I try as I might, and I did try very hard through my life to always stay up to date with the music. So when the pop music of the 60s became the singer-songwriters or the heavy metal artists of the 70s, tried to go with that, kind of liked most of it. Oh, then it became disco and it became punk in the late 70s. Well, that's kind of interesting. Oh, that's, kind of, that's kind of good too. And then in the early 80s, it became, you know, um, more hip hop as the rise of rap came and that was a bold departure and that was the first uh difficult time i had because gone was the melody it was all beat now and i had lived an entire life loving songs for their melody and their lyrics now the good news is rap does give you interesting lyrics so if you like lyrics as i do I kind of try and glom onto the lyrics to see if I can get some benefit, some well, I, entertainment, yeah. some satisfaction. I, I, Sometimes I, I do. Yeah, I know you love Grandmaster Flash. I do. That that stuff, the message, is such an awesome uh, message song. Its lyrics are descriptive, they're passionate, they're emotional, they take me to a place, they take me to a time. Uh, I can't. I accept that not every hip hop song can have that level. Not every pop song is, you know, uh, born to run. You know, one of my favorite songs. That thing moves me. But not every pop. Not even every song by the Boss is as good as that. That's just life. But generally speaking, boy, this is a long answer to your question. Do I like WAP? No, I don't. Uh, but I respect it for the artistry and the and it is artistic. There's a ton of artwork in that video a yeah. ton of yeah. it i mean the setting the the outfits and the uh, the cinematography of it it's spectacular so on some level it's a masterpiece and it's certainly um uh, a moment in time one of those uh, marker songs a woman is talking about her wet ass pussy did you think yeah. you would see this in your lifetime where do we go from here well, yeah, where do we go from here? Because that has been uh, the role of all youth music, to uh, engage youth and to uh, speak for youth, to reflect youth, and often to 
not be liked by the older audience. Mm. I mean, hey, the earliest rock and rollers did that. You know, parents are horrified by seeing Elvis shaking his hips or little Richard with his makeup and his pompadour and his naughty, I think, lyrics. What is Tutti Frutti about? <laughs> you know? uh, so, but then uh, the Rolling Stones, the next decade, did the same thing. And we can go through the all history of pop music. And by the way, it didn't just start with rock and roll. You can go back and in the early 30s, Bing Crosby, the ultimate crooner, was singing jazz. And jazz was the music of the devil. So a lot of older people in the 1930s were afraid that Bing Crosby was tainting their youth, just like the parents of the 50s thought rock and roll was a form of communism that was going to destroy the, uh, the youth of America. Yeah. What? <laughs> so today, you're right. What is the next level of outrage? What is the next level of extreme? And every change voice, uh, creates a new uh, benchmark that the next generation will want to rebel against. Now, we've seen sometimes it go the other way, where there's been so much excess, like in the 1980s, the hair metal era. The antidote to excess was minimalism. Punk first rebelled against the excess of Queen and the excess of, of, uh, of the uh, glam rockers mm -hmm. and Pink Floydism. That was the, uh, the early appeal of punk, is that it was minimalist. And to some degree, that might happen in the future. I hope it's not a backlash against progressive liberal ideals, which I support completely. I support even to the degree of having so-called pornographic images, because I don't think they're pornographic. Some people would say that. They're just sexual. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with sensu sensual and sexual um, Subject matter. entertainment. Um, that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. Let's not be prudes. But where do we go from there? You're right. I mean, what's next? You know, a totally naked woman? Well, is that more sexual than a teasingly dressed woman? Many people would argue, no, it's not as sexual because you can't go to ultimate nakedness and expect it to be as provocative as something that teases that, right? Am I getting way off here? No, speaking of uh, ultimate nakedness, um, the number one thing I'm asked from people who know what I do is they say, does your family know what you do? I, I host Naked News. I'm naked everywhere. I'm online naked. You can Google Laura Desiree and unfortunately, boom, fortunately for you, <laughs> I'm naked. So um, I wanted to ask you, and I don't know if I've ever actually laid this in front of you, but okay. uh, you know what I do. What yeah. do you think about it? Well, first of all, do you love what you do? Do you like what you do? do you, are you passionate about what you do? Does it fulfill you? Um, those are the more important questions. What I think of it is less important than what you think of it. And if you are happy, you are fulfilled, you are uh, creatively challenged, motivated, and are okay with it, well, who am I to say that's not right? Yes, I am your father, but I'm much happier that you're happy, 
then that I'm happy. And I'm not unhappy with what you're doing. I was I'm not unhappy this. with it. Does it, does it I, disappoint you in any not way? Not at all. No, you're in the world of entertainment, a particular uh, genre within entertainment. And I'm perhaps to, um, to, to credit, I was going to say to blame, but there's no blame attached. I can be credited by exposing my daughters and my children, because I have a son as well, to, but I, I, you know, he didn't grow up with me. You did. And Sophie did. But the two of you I raised very liberally, very progressively, with a love for pop culture, including very progressive liberal films and all the vast range of pop music that I could pour at you. Uh, and we enjoyed it together as a family. And from that came the directions that you took. I am not one to judge. You know, I'm delighted that you are fulfilled professionally and you say you're naked everywhere. No, you're not. You're only naked within the context of your job. And that is your job. And that's cool or hot. Yeah, not yeah. for dad, but for some people. <laughs> I do have the ability to, to separate those two things, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, and that might be what the, the, the challenge for many parents. Uh, whose children go into this business is that they have a hard time separating themselves from their feelings. Uh, I don't have those, obviously, for my children. I may have those for other people, and I certainly do have those for the people for for my partner, for example. You know, and that's the ability to compartmentalize, and that's being a mature adult. You can compartmentalize. And I'm very proud and supportive of what you've always done and what you are doing. And I wish you all the happiness and success in that world. Uh, you, you raised us in our household to not look at sexuality as something that is extremely dangerous or taboo or uh, devilish or anything to be afraid of. I mean, how did you do that as uh, an evolution in your mind in introducing us to sexuality. I know that when it comes to actually talking about sex, we were pretty, you know, deflective and afraid, and freaked out. But, you know, you found other ways, like with the movies that we saw, we never fast forwarded sex scenes. We never, never. we never steered clear of a movie because it had nakedness in it. Never, no, uh, because it's part of life. There's nothing wrong with sex. There's nothing wrong with a sexual, um encounter uh as long as it's you know uh consenting adults obviously you cannot take advantage of a person who has a mentally uh, uh mentally not um, um able to understand what's going on whether that's a child or someone that has disabilities obviously that's wrong on every count but with consenting adults whatever those adults consent to is fine now the depiction of those uh, um, uh, actions in film. Um, is it a good story? Is it a good movie? Does the sex or the ex expressions of love um, uh, propel the film, tell, help tell the story better? And if it does, it's a great movie. And <laughs> I remember watching some of those films, and at one point, you or Sophie would say, Oh, Dad, is this a kissing movie? <laughs> It might have been Casablanca, or could have even been Raiders of the Lost Ark with Indiana Jones asking uh, her to kiss his forehead because he was hurt there. Uh, yeah, 
And then he moved to his right. Oh, Dad, is this a kissing movie? And we'd laugh about that because we knew it was just an inside joke. Um, but no, I've, I'm proud of having shown those films, even if they were perhaps a little bit uh, more advanced than perhaps a, a 10, 12, 14 year old was ready for. But generally speaking, I knew what movies to show and what not to show. And I've always had um, a comfortable attitude towards sex. Perhaps that came from my upbringing. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't want to lay too much of this on my parents because sex never came up in conversation. We never had the talk, unfortunately. You know, that's part of my generation's burden is that we never had the talk with our parents, but you could still glom certain insights, um, you know, and, and my mom um, was more of a friend. I looked at my mom. Yeah, of course, she was my mother, but she was also my friend who sometimes protected me from my stepfather's um uh you know desire to punish me or to um you know uh whatever to uh yeah to punish me uh, she would protect me now it wasn't a, an abusive situation at all please not at all but he was more of the strict um strict uh, lawgiver and she was kind of a protector and so I, tr I started looking at my mom as a friend and, and we told stories. And, and I remember she would tell me um, of her passion for my father, not my stepfather, but for my father. My parents split when I was five years old and I was raised by my mother's second husband, a wonderful man, a great guy, but he was more of a strict authoritarian. But my original dad was a bit of a rogue, I understand. And I, 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 I continued to see my, my dad. In fact, I eventually went to live with him and his new wife when I was 18 years old. So I knew my dad very well during that period. And I loved that roguishness of him, that those, story, those stories that would tell me about his youth and all that stuff. But my mother, one of her favorite recurring stories was to tell me of... <clears throat> the love they had in the bathtub. She told us. I know, she was she, very proud of that. She would tell us. And I think that's wonderful. Yes. Isn't in that the, wonderful? In the tree, in the snow, in the bathtub. Yeah, she would yeah, say yeah. these things. I never heard the one about the snow. You'll have to tell me about that someday. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was, and that was an, an organic, almost subconscious way of telling me sex was good. Mm -hmm. Sex was all right. She never sat down and told me about it. They never talked to me about safe sex. They never talked to me about women and what, you know. No, I learned that as so many people did from the street, from my friends and from trial and error. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think my parents uh, gave me that sense of it's okay. And it is okay. In fact, it's more than okay. It's fun. It's the essence of life enjoy it mm. forever it's it's what's given me a confidence a comfort and an ability to talk about it do it uh you know make a living around it um there is the unfortunate stigma 
Uh, I don't know if you know about this. It's more of a not your generation term that goes around daddy issues. So mm. women that have, um, I'm going to read you the, the, the definition of this because I actually daddy love issues. Okay. The term daddy issues gets tossed around a lot, but most of the people doing the tossing are getting it all wrong. It's become a catch-all term to describe almost anything a woman does when it comes to sex and relationships. If she puts out too soon, doesn't want to put out, or is looking for reassurance, she's got daddy issues. If she prefers older men, if she likes to get spanked and called a bad girl or calls her partner daddy in bed, it must be daddy issues. When we talk about the uh, adult industry, porn stars, um, sex workers, um, one of the unfortunate uh, stereotypes is that, my God, these women must have some serious daddy issues to be making a living like this. Wow. Yeah. No, I'd not heard that term. Um, not sure how to answer that. That's That's a big question. And I think... Uh, whenever you stereotype, uh, you're doing a disservice to who you're stereotyping and also to yourself because people are so individual, so different from each other. Some woman or some man in the sex industry may have had a terrible experience growing up, may have been abused badly and may have felt a lack of love or compassion or or whatever from his or her parents, father or mother, um, and may have developed what you're referring to as daddy issues. But that's wrong to uh, uh, to use as a term encompassing the entire industry that you're in, as it would be wrong to to use it for any other situation. In other words, stereotyping is a bad thing. It's a it's a dangerous thing, and it's not a helpful thing. Um, so I think you look at each person individually and say, okay, uh, what's your what's your life story, and and how did your upbringing perhaps affect that? And when you hear that person saying, well, here's what I think happened to me and why, then you can, as a psychologist, sociologist, psychotherapist, or perhaps just as a friend. Um, perhaps start making some irrationale, a rational answer for that person, whatever a daddy issue in that person's case might be. But I think to stereotype and to generalize it is wrong uh, because there's so many individuals. As, as we know, even from, from watching movies and, um, and just generally absorbing pop culture and reading books, we know that there are some very happy hookers in fact, you happen to know the original happy hooker. Right. And then there are very unhappy uh, people in the sex industry, unhappy for various reasons. They may have had a wonderful parenthood, but fell into drugs and found that the only way to maintain their habit was to sell their body. That's not a blame on that father or mother. If they were indeed loving and giving, that's an unfortunate accident. On the other hand, Perhaps that woman or that man um, indeed did have a very inappropriate and abusive relationship with one of their parents that caused psychological damage that resulted ultimately in that person choosing this uh, way of life and hoping for uh, some comfort through uh, sex or sex work. 
but it's everyone's different. Mm-hmm. So that's my take on it. I think daddy issue, is, from what I understand, is a blanket term that's wielded very unfairly as a sword over many people's heads that is not appropriate. It's not applicable. So what, what do you think of the men who are attracted to women who they deem have daddy issues? Well, maybe they have issues. <laughs> you know, maybe it's the man that has the issue, if you think about it. Uh, and let's face it, an awful lot of women and men in the sex industry are acting. It's just an act. It's a performance. Don't tell me that she really loves you. Are you kidding? You're spending money. She doesn't really love you, buddy. A sucker. Yeah. Exactly. So the men who are looking for women who have daddy issues may in fact have issues themselves. And I would I would say have issues themselves because that's a that's a a weird way to go. But again, I'm being judgmental. And is that fair? Maybe that guy has daddy issues for a reason. Maybe he was brought up in an inappropriate way. Maybe he was abused. And he's now looking to play out some fantasy that he thinks is a, um, is a trigger to give him pleasure. Mm-hmm. And he thinks that by finding this kind of woman, who at least will play that role, will satisfy him. He's the one with the issue in that case. Now, Definitely. are there some women that have difficulties um, with their, um, their own history? Of course there are. But they don't have to always be in the world of sex. They could be in banking, they could be in nursing, they could be an engineer, they could be a lawyer and still have daddy issues, to use your term, right? It's not my term. <laughs> okay, fair ball. Um, so get ready for a million people to inquire about your advice and get ready for a million people to need to speak to Dr. Dad specifically. Oh, no. Uh, we've been going well over the time that I slotted for us today. So obviously, I love talking with you, and I hope that everyone who's been listening has enjoyed it as well. Um, do you have advice for the young sexual people of today? What would that be? Love yourself first. You know, you have to you have to um, appreciate and respect and love yourself. Know that you are this person. Admit the fact that you may have some um, uh, issues, some 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 difficulties, maybe even some psychological conditions, which you should have get help for or help with. Uh, but know and love yourself first. Know what you want to do with yourself. Life is wonderful. Life is long. Stay healthy. Otherwise, life won't be very long, and it sure as hell won't be very good to live if you're not healthy. So that's part of looking after yourself. Look after your mind and your body and your spirit. you got to be happy. Happiness is very important. Mm-hmm. Health, happiness can lead to long life, and ultimately wealth and success, if those are the things that are motivating you. But not everyone is motivated by wealth and success or fame or whatever. Whatever is motivating you, you will reach if you have first a love of self and um, and an appreciation of yourself and an understanding of yourself. And that doesn't necessarily come in your teenage years. That's something you continue to explore and continue to look for and find as you mature and become 
and elder to bring the conversation to full circle. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dad. Welcome, Laura. Love you. I love you too. It's been great chatting and I hope everybody watching and listening also enjoyed this very special edition of Licked and Loaded with my father, the incredible Gene Stevens. Thank you very, very much. Take care of yourself, dad. I'll see you after COVID ends. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.